Women Make Waves is an NC Fit podcast. What's up, listeners? Welcome back to the Women Make Waves podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today, Laura, Ariel, and myself are sitting down with the first ever listener-nominated guest, Aubrey Lee. (sighs) This episode had me so inspired, you guys. Aubrey was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, but has not let that stop her from being the biggest advocate for the disabled community I've ever met. We've linked all the ways that you can get involved. You can help stomp out shame and stigma and ableism surrounding the disabled community and do your part to make a difference. We talk about the difference between surviving and thriving. We talk about Aubrey's aha moment and what really helped her start building this community and all of the things that Aubrey does above and beyond her diagnosis. We've linked all the ways to get a hold of her in the show notes. So look forward to being just as inspired as we were throughout this episode. Enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Women Make Waves podcast. We are so excited today to be sitting down with Aubrey Lee. She was actually our first guest that was nominated by a listener. So I'm super excited to dive into that. And just so, so stoked to hear your story. You wrote a letter, um, a letter to your younger self that I shared with Laura and Ariel. And all of us were in tears. So outside of being an incredible speaker, she is an incredible writer and just touches the hearts of so many. I'm super excited to welcome you to the show, Aubrey. And as always, we like to start by asking, how are you making waves? Thank you so much, Marnie. I am thrilled to be here. First, I must give a shout out to Lizzie my good friend who nominated me for this. So thank you, Lizzie. I will also say that over the past few years, I've been doing more thinking, but this is the first time I've done a podcast. And I think it's so fun that it is this podcast because I'll tell you a bit more about myself. So I have a form of muscular dystrophy. And usually this is the first thing that people notice about me is that I use a power wheelchair to get around. And some other parts of my muscular dystrophy are that I'm hard of hearing. So I always mean captions on movies. Um, and I also have a bit of a speech impairment. But I hope that all of you out there are doing all right when understanding my speech so far. And so the reason I think it's so fun that this is my first podcast is that this is a fitness podcast. And people don't always think about disability and fitness going together. And I will admit I don't know much about sports. I don't know much about exercising. My version of exercising is getting out of bed every morning. So getting myself up and into my wheelchair. Um, but I'll share with you that I feel that I've always had such good 
von da aus habe ich mir so einen Erfolg an von einem Heilsport. Ein Applied in Form called California Youth Leadership Forum for Students with Disabilities. When they selected 15 disabled students from the state and brought us to Sacramento to learn about disability history, culture, and activism. And the reason I signed up for this was because I was an overachiever. And I said, all right, let me just sign up for anything that might look good on my college application. And I show up there and I enter in the lobby and all the counselors start cheering. And I feel so uncomfortable because I had never had that kind of celebration of my identity. And then I go into the next room and there are 10 other people in wheelchairs there. And my first reaction, I confess, was I don't belong here. Because up to that point in my life, I had worked so hard to prove myself beyond my disability. I had worked so hard to have other people see me as capable. And somehow I felt that by associating with other people who are like me, that I would lose the place that I had fought so hard to carve out for myself in the main stream. And it took many years for me to realize this. But what I was experiencing in that room for the first time was knowing how it felt to be the majority in the room. I had never known that power. And up to that point, I had only known the stigma of disability. And then I heard of racism and sexism, but you may not have heard of Implementism. And implementism is an attitude that disability is a bad thing. And I had internalized that implementism. And that implementism made me feel ashamed of the disabled side of myself. I felt that I had to suppress that side, hide that side compensate for that side in order to be respected or loved or valued. But what that forum taught me and what finding the disability community taught me was that I can be respected and loved and valued no matter what I can or can't do. It doesn't matter what I can do. It doesn't matter what I can't do. I am a complete person. And as a human being, I have the same rights as any other. So how am I, how am I making waves now? 
that experience I had of being the majority in the room, I now create for other disabled people. I feel very fortunate that I knew about that forum, that I could go to that forum, but unfortunately I feel that many disabled people never had that opportunity. So I've sadly when I attended college and um, now in our workplace, I said this community for disabled people to find each other and find themselves. I had another answer to the question. I wanted to start with that one. I love that. I mentioned so that. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, 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 you like to say anything? I was just going to say, I love that you shared all of like the background of where you came from and where you are now, because that is such a powerful thing, right? Like we look at somebody where they are right now and we think, well, we can never get there. So if someone looks at you and how successful you are and they may, they may have a dis the disability, it can be really challenging to say, well, how am I ever going to get there? But for you to share all of these experiences is so incredibly powerful. So I just wanted to say thank you, but please, I would love to hear your other answer. Thank you, Ariel. And what you're saying reminds me of something else, which is The disability community has a complicated relationship with the concept of being inspiring. So the word inspiring comes up a lot when people talk about disabled people. And what I love is when I can inspire other disabled people. So I know what, more what you're saying about someone who might be maybe a younger version of me somewhere out there, hello, um, feel free to reach out. Um, then yes, I, I, want, I want those who may not have gotten as far on their journey to know that they can be proud of all parts of themselves. So, I mentioned I've been doing more thinking and I've done a lot of writing and oftentimes the topic centers around disability. And I love this image that you have of a wave because a wave is ongoing and it has many manifestations and many impacts. And the one way I think about how I'm making waves is by celebrating the fact that I am disabled, like being disabled and proud, and also being an artist, and being an engineer, and being many more things, and doing all of these things at once. In my, in my life, as I have entered 
mir helfen, that I need to change to fit me because I've never had anyone like me before. So much of my time and energy is consumed by just, just fighting to have that place. Up to this point, I think I cannot name a single physical location in the world that is fully accessible to me. So the world signals to the female people that we don't belong here and that that they would be just as happy as that the world would be just as happy if women did not exist. So, closing out new spaces for myself and for other members and the disabled community is a way that I just live, and it takes a lot of my time. I don't want it to be the only thing. I, I think it would be a sad thing if someone who doesn't fit into the world has to spend their entire life just maintaining their existence. So a good friend of mine talked about not just surviving but thriving. So I can get by every day that's not enough. I don't want to settle for just surviving. I want something that makes me happy. I want something that I even wonder if I can do. But I have been learning 3D modeling, digital modeling. So I'm done drawing. I'm done two-dimensional visual art, and now 3D. And 3D is exponentially harder than either the first two, but it is so much fun. Another thing is not just 3D modeling, but fashion modeling. So when I was little, no one knows the table fashion models that I saw. Now I'm seeing more, and that inspires me. Something I have felt for a long time is why is disability considered ugly? When I was uh, younger, I had to do some research paper, and in my research, I found a study that was using disability as a standard for ugliness. So in the metrics, they were, they were using disability um, as being on par with being ugly. And I think that is very wrong. And so I feel a bit shy about saying this, but I've been very grateful that People have called me beautiful. And I 
even without that, even before that, I decided for myself, if no one else will call me beautiful, I'm going to call myself beautiful. And the saying, beauty lies in the eye of the beholder. Well, here I am. I am a beholder, and I will behold myself and call myself beautiful. <laughs> and, and that is another way that I'm trying to defy what the world tells people about disability. That, that we don't belong here, that we aren't beautiful, that we don't deserve respect. And that we that as long as we are just surviving that that is enough. It's not a that is true. I know that um this forum, the group that you went to, and it was the first time you were really able to recognize your kind of internalized ableism. And that sounds like such an inspirational moment, but what, and maybe that was it, but was there something else or what kind of created this shift in mindset from, you know, surviving to thriving because it doesn't seem like something that happens overnight. Thank you for that question. So the moment that I entered that room and I felt I don't belong here and I felt that internalized ableism, I did not recognize it in that moment. So the entire course of that forum, I was not a very engaged I had such a bad attitude about it. And still, everyone there was so welcoming of me. So, they just continued to prove how much they accepted me with who I was. And it was a slow process. Um, I mean, that ableism, overcoming that ableism, much more than overcoming disability. I don't say that I overcame my disability. I say I am trying to overcome ableism. So, from, on going from surviving to thriving, that was, I'd say, a realization I had over the past year or so. And to be completely honest, this realization has come to me after a long sequence of Question heartbreaking again. So, coronavirus. About a year, and then more than a year ago, when coronavirus started taking over the US, the news articles that I'm looking were not mention disabled people 
for people with chronic health conditions who recognize as being high risk for complications like death from coronavirus. And if news articles did mention us at all, it would be by saying most people don't have to worry. Only people with health problems have to worry. And this word only said so much to me. It said, wow, you don't really care about us. We are just an accepted, accepted casualty. And so it was so baffling to me. Why were those news articles not saying that We should be doing everything we can to protect those who are high risk. But instead, we are reassuring those who are not high risk that they don't have to worry. I, that was such a symbol to me of how little society values our lives. And then vaccine development happened, and many states started creating tears for who deserves the vaccine first. In California, high-risk disabled people were the last year. And then towards the end of January, the, the governor said, actually, we're just going to take you off the priority list altogether. So we went from being last on the list to not on the list at all. And this went after many months of seeing how fatal coronavirus was to my community. So not only because of the nature of our body, but because of how Society is designed to keep us on the margin. So, for example, nursing homes. Um, I saw an article that said about 38% of coronavirus deaths in the US happened in nursing homes. And I require personal care. So, being very open with all of me in the audience. I can't move myself to and from the toilet safely. And I consider this a medical necessity, but health insurance companies don't. So I have no insurance help paying for personal care. So what does someone like me have to do if they can't afford personal care? They have to go to a nursing home. So, Coronavirus has been fatal in that way. Um, in the UK, I think the number is something like 50% of deaths, maybe more, um, were disabled people. So it is, it was after knowing all of these things, all of these facts were known. And then we get taken off the priority list for the vaccine. So it just, 
And at that moment, and after none of these moments, I said, all right, if the world is either going to caterpillar or not carefully die, then I need to make my life something spectacular. I need to put so much more value into my life and my time than society is telling me I deserve. So now I do more than just be angry or be heartbroken or be hurt at how little society respects and values that. I say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing that other people might call frivolous. Like, I'm going to take my hair long. I'm going to take my nails. I'm going to dress up and be fashionable. Because I decide what matters to me. What incredible, incredible strength it takes just, you know, to overcome everything you've overcome from, from outside in society, from within yourself, emotionally, with external factors. I'm, I'm just absolutely blown away by your strength. And thinking about the things in my life that I let get to me or, or make me feel down or like I can't do something. And then seeing you is such, such an inspiration. And I spent quite a deal of time um, yesterday and today looking at your art and just being absolutely blown away by that as well. The, I saw the cow skull sketch you did and it, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. And um, for all of our listeners, I would very much encourage you to look at Aubrey's life plan that she's laid out and we'll for sure link that in the notes because I've been reading through it and frantically creating my own. So I just want to thank you for that. You know, you're inspiring, you're inspiring everyone, including myself. So thank you. Thank you, Laura. I love that you kind of checked out my life plan and that you are writing your own life plan. A, a comment on that. I think that the disability community has experienced very acutely phenomena that affects everyone more generally. So the isolation of the pandemic has affected everyone, but the disability community experiences that isolation in very acute ways. Um, I mean, as a small example, when lockdown started, my personal care attendant wasn't allowed to come to my house. So, according to the same timeline, so there's a trend um, when another example is natural disasters or fires. So, in these kinds of disasters, 
Yeah, I, you know, it's so easy for, for people in, in circumstances that are traumatic, that are unchosen to adopt kind of this victim mentality, which is totally, totally like a a natural response to that, right? We don't get to choose the traumas that happen to us. We don't get to choose, you know, our physical attributes or what our childhoods were like or all of these different things. And from a therapy standpoint, there's so much that you can understand and maybe not even understand, but recognize and validate that the trauma or the traumatic experience or whatever the experience may be was brutal and unfair and not chosen. And then there's the and. And the and is so hard. It's like, yes, this was terrible. And now, even though it's unfair, it's our job to heal it or it's our job to fix it. And taking that radical responsibility of I am 
an autonomous being. I am the one that makes decisions for my life is such an incredibly healing tool if we can step out of kind of that victim mentality. And it sounds like you've done that so, so beautifully. Unfortunately, I think that it takes, you know, a willingness to have conversations like this, or like you pointed out, these acute happenings, right? These really, I think of like the, you know, George Floyd, for example, right? And these huge shocking, earth-shattering things that need to happen to start these conversations. So are there any organizations, are there any ways that people who want to get involved, who want to start stopping ableism, who want to elevate these conversations and these voices, how can people get involved? Thank you so much for that question. I wish I had an easy answer to this. I will start with a book recommendation. It is an anthology of essays. It's called Disability Visibility, collected by a, an amazing um, disabled Chinese American activist named Alice Wong. And I recommend that book to everyone. I spend a lot of time thinking about disability. And so what I said in the book, I thought, all right, well, I'm not only accepting the surprise here, but I'm, I'm just interested. And I was completely wrong. It taught me so much. It opened my mind so much. So I highly recommend it to all of you listening. Alice also had a podcast by the same name, Disability Visibility. Uh, they concluded their 100th episode and are, um, ha have concluded the podcast itself, but all the episodes are still available. Um, so these are some examples of how people can educate themselves. And in terms of going from education to action, a few things I'll say. One is to use your voice to amplify ours. So if you read this moment visibility and it resonates with you or it seems to do something, share it with your network. Right? Don't just keep it to yourself. If you like any of my essays, feel free to share them. If you like any writing or any work from other disabled activists, share them. And so that's another thing. Uh, um, I'm also saying you can become aware of and if this is, if this is your style, if it's not, you can try it out. Like calling your new representatives and uh, influencing um, your, those who represent you in government about some of the most difficult issues that this community is facing. I mentioned nursing homes earlier. So institutionalization is a big problem. So the disability community has a campaign called 
all at home, not nursing home. So we need support for being able to survive and thrive in our community. Um, and I think those are some, some tips for now. Can you also share with listeners, first and foremost, we will link all of those different things in the show notes, because I think that's so important for people to, to get involved with. Um, but can you share with listeners, I know I mentioned at the onset of the show that Laura, Ariel, and I all cried reading your letter to your younger self. So can, and I might cry again. It would not be my first time on the show crying. Here we go. <laughs> I've been holding them back all episode. Um, can you kind of share with listeners what the evolution was of your muscular dystrophy and looking back, you know, with the woman that you are now and giving that advice to that younger self? Can you kind of pair those two and tell the story of how that how that unfolded for you? I I like that you you the word evolution because muscular dystrophy is known as progression and some people find this ironic because. Possession is thought of as positive. And for me, for muscular dystrophy, possession means I move my muscles all the time. Yet, I don't find it ironic because my body changes. So the definition of, the definition of Progressive is something that changes and it's progress. Sharing more of this evolution. When I was born, my parents didn't know whether I had a diagnosis. When I was a child, my mother when trying to have me say mama, but I could always say mama because I couldn't close my lips. And when uh, when my parents would leave me, I would get soap in my eyes and I couldn't close my eyes tightly enough to keep myself out. And so I would cry and cry and they didn't understand why. When I entered elementary school, I had that same facial weakness and I also uh, my parents also found out that I was hard of hearing that. So they got me hearing aids, and I used to have what was called an FM system for the teacher to wear. I don't wear hearing aids anymore. I can tell you a bit more about why not. Basically, they're very uncomfortable, and I I prefer to go about like not wearing them. They, they also made sound 
too loud. I just felt it didn't really help me. Um, going back to your question, going back to another of your questions, Lindsay, you asked how can people stop ableism? Part of it is a mindset change. Um, disabled people are people. Disabled people have a right to live. Disabled people have a right to live how they want to live. So I've had people in my life saying, you should be wearing a hearing aid. Why aren't you wearing a hearing aid? Well, disabled people deserve to live how they want to live. I want to live without my hearing aid. Um, and people I rely on to brush my hair. They tell me, your hair is too long. It's too difficult to take care of. Well, what that says to me is that my body is not mine. My body doesn't belong to me. That I don't deserve the same level of hair or autonomy over myself as someone who was born with muscle. So I question that. I challenge that, and I want others to question and challenge how they think about the rights of disabled people. So, elementary school, hearing aids. Then, around the age of eight, I noticed I couldn't lift my arms above my head. I had never been able to run as fast or for as long as my classmates, but the age of eight is one I couldn't do the runner set in PE. And um, <laughs> so earlier I mentioned that I, I've always been fond of athletes and had good, had, had good relationships with them. Um, and at the same time, I have never liked PE. PE was always such a struggle for me. Um, and running the mile, there were, it, it, was, it was so tragic. At, there were, at the end of running the mile, there were only two students left. One was me, and the other one, um, a boy who had had leukemia. So, cancer is sometimes considered part of, um, the disability world. So the two of us were saying not being able to run the mile very fast. Um, but what I couldn't do the running session anymore in PE, my parents took me around to many different doctors, got my diagnosis. Uh, it's called infantile onset facial muscular dystrophy. Um, and then around the age of 14, I hit my roof for it. My bones started growing a lot faster than my muscles could catch up. I had a harder time walking. Um, for going long distances, I would need a mobility device. I'll tell you the story. I know we're coming up on time, but 
Es que es que la salida sale en la historia de los monstruos industriales. There's an event that happens, I think, every year called the Abilities Expo, where many companies and organizations go to show off what they're working on. And there, for the first time, I signed up a scooter, a powered scooter. Some people call it a landmark scooter, but that's okay. If I can learn to be a landmark, I'll be happy. Uh, so, when I was trying out this scooter, it felt so liberating. People often think of a wheelchair as a symbol of deficit. But in my experience, wheelchairs enable mobility. I'm a Joe Miller without my wheelchair, quite literally. So I started using this scooter, and I think it was 14, mostly out of the house. And it was a 16, I think I was using um, a power wheelchair at home also. In college, I was still able to stand, but not quite. When I was standing, I didn't have any uh, abdominal muscles, so I was facing up at the sky. And, and then I had to take a few steps that couldn't see where I was going, and it was not very um, safe. I knew that the college without much personal care help, and now I'm 29 years old. I lost the ability to stand many years ago. Um, and over the past year, I, I've lost more muscles in my hand and in my legs. So maybe you ask, what would I tell myself? What I still tell myself is that change is good. Progress is good. Progressive is good. When I lost this most recent muscle in my stronger hand, I was, I was sad. I was a bit discouraged. But I also said, let me use this as an opportunity to engineer something better than I had before. I'm working on technological innovation for expressing my thoughts and that loss of ability has given me motivation to pursue those innovations. Where, so, oh. Yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll say one more thing. Yeah. And this is, this is where, as a side note, I have realized I'm a very strange person. It's okay, I enjoy it. I like it, I own it. And I had a feeling I would be a strange person, even if I wasn't the same one. But one of the things that is strange, um, and that some people might find strange is, 
I tend to think very philosophically, and I also think a lot about death. Not in the sense of that I want to die. I don't want to die. When the world is telling me that I should be dead, I even I, I had all the more reason to live. But I'm bringing up because on the topic of change, that is the ultimate thesis. So People fear change. People also fear death. And I find that incongruous. If you fear death, you should love change. And so I had, really not, I didn't love change. I think it was just a personality thing. But I had learned and chosen to love change, including how my body changes. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like for so many people, we get so caught up in the idea that change has to be bad and that it means something bad is coming or that there's something wrong with us because we're changing or growing or evolving. And for you to just be able to embrace the fact that change means an opportunity that's so huge i mean for literally anybody to be able to use that line of thinking instead of fearing change like leaning into it like you're saying i love that so much um so aubrey if people want to keep up with you if they want to know more about what you're doing if they want we'll link um some things for you, but where can people find you outside of that? Thank you. I, it's so funny, I just made a link tree this morning. <laughs> so I had a link tree, uh, link tree slash Audrey Lee, no space is known, I think. Um, and I love hearing from people. So feel free to um, send me an email on that underscore at audreyleaf.com. Feel free to reach out on Instagram, on Twitter, um, check out my website. And I look forward to hearing from you. And next new friend. And thank you, Lindsay and Ariel and Laura. I have had so much fun today. Same. Thank you so much, Aubrey. I, I don't think I speak for myself when I say this was by far probably like the most inspirational, incredible conversation we've had. So thank you so, so much from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. I, I, people who know me well know I love to talk. So this, I'm just honored that you, that you enjoyed listening. Awesome, Aubrey. You, Aubrey. We're honored to be here with you. Thank you so much. Till next time.